All right, everybody get a little something to eat and drink, I hope. We're going to keep, keep rolling here. Um, I want to make sure you understand and know I think you guys have one of the hardest jobs in the world. I feel for our students because they are growing up in a time that's much harder than the one I grew up in. Mine was very easy as from the Leave it to Beaver days, and I love Lucy and all, and so uh, didn't have nearly as much stuff I was exposed to in general. Uh, and uh, if you wanted to look at pornography, you had to get lucky at the 7-Eleven if one of the men bought it, you know, and they'd, they'd pull that little cover off, and that was, that was my experience with pornography. Uh, was at 7-Eleven, but it was a very fleeting uh, moment. Now they can do everything with their phones. Uh, and see a lot more than you and I ever thought about. Uh, so I understand and realize it's tough to be a parent. In fact, I, I got a job description I saw the other day for parents. And here, here it is. Oh, can you read that? It's a little, little tough. Let me read it for you just in case you're in the back. Make sure your children's academic, emotional, psychological, mental, spiritual, physical, nutritional, and social needs are met while being careful not to overstimulate them, understimulate them, Improperly medicate them, helicopter or neglect them in a screen-free, processed food-free, negative energy-free, plastic-free, body-positive, socially conscious, egalitarian but also authoritative, nurturing but fostering of independence, gentle but not overly permissive, pesticide-free, two-story, multilingual home, preferably in a cul-de-sac with a backyard and 1.5 siblings spaced out at least two years apart for proper development. Also, don't forget sunscreen. Are you tired yet? Uh, it's hard. There's a lot expected out of you. Uh, let me show you what my parents' job description was as they raised this guy. That's it. That's it. You know, as long as we were still alive at the end of the day and they fed us every once in a while, it's a pretty good day. Uh, it was a little simpler time. Uh, there, I find that there's more anxiety about parenting in general. Uh, that's the good grandparents. I do have some grandparents out there with me. You know, grandparenting is the best job I've ever had because I'm not nearly as anxious. I'm having a good time. If those kids, my grandkids do something stupid, I, I blame it on the parents and go, that's y'all's fault. That's not for my gene pool. When they do something brilliant, I say, Man, it's amazing how those genes skip a generation and go right to my grandkids, right? But I'm more relaxed. My, my daughter was talking to me one day on the phone, and, and we're going back and forth, and she had two, her, her two boys were at the house, and all of a sudden she stops the conversation and says, Carter, Harrison, stop it, stop it, stop it. And I'm going, hey, what's going on, babe? And she said, Dad, is it normal for boys to spit on the carpet in the house? And I said, yeah, pretty much. And she said, really? And I said, yeah, really? I said, that, that's, those are boys. I said, someday you might have a girl that will not do that. But I said, boys, that's pretty typical. I said, they're not, they hadn't started going to the bathroom on the carpet yet, have they? Dad, <laughs> it's coming. It, it's it's going to come. I promise. It, it's difficult. It's hard. And, uh, you know, so, sometimes we think, well, it's just the same as it was when we were growing up. No, it's not at all. In fact, I show, showed my kids all the time what a typical trek of me going, walking to school would be. <laughs> uphill in the snow. And uh, it was uphill both ways, uh, typically, uh, for me. Uh, or uh, you may talk about, uh, make these little references about the old days and what was going on. And, and uh, you may make a commercial reference and they go, what are you talking about? Like, do, do y'all remember who this is? Mikey. Mikey which means you're old, like me. <laughs> if I show this to my class at ACU, they go, what? Why? Uh, I, don't, I don't get this. And some of them, I can see a few of you that are a little younger going, I don't, I've never seen that either. Great famous commercial at one point. Uh, you'll say these little, little trite phrases and the kids don't get it. Here's the deal. The world your kids are living in is very, very different than yours. It has moved miles now, there are a few universals still there. The insecurities and all that goes with that. Yes, that's still there. But here's the big deal. Uh, their, their world is exposing them to more sooner than yours ever did. 
our kids are exposed to more stuff. They have actually more information at their fingertips than we ever had, I think, period. Uh, they can find just about anything. If you've ever said, you know, I wonder who has, and you finish, finish the phrase, they Google it, and all of a sudden they got the answer. And you're going, wow, that was it. How do, you, how do you get there? How do you find that? And they show you how to do it. And there's been this dynamic change. There was a time the older generation could control the information flow to the younger generation. Okay? We said, you're not ready for that yet in a variety of topics. Now, because of technology, they actually can do technology better than you can still. Now, we've got a lot of parents who are getting pretty conversant in it, but for the most part, most kids are much better at technology than we are. So they have access to it. They know how to get to it. And we are actually having to ask them for help on finding information we're interested in. So we flipped the information flow just a little bit. There are things we're screened out to that they are going, everybody knows this. Uh, there are things and apps that they have going on that you have no idea what they're looking at because you're just not aware. You know, they, they are hiding things. And a bunch of you, uh, do I have any Facebook people in the room? Okay, we got several. Uh, and that's, that's great. As soon as y'all got on there, they went elsewhere because you were getting too nosy in their business or you were making comments about their pictures or putting pictures of them up that their friends could see and they went, I'm out of here. So they run to Instagram, uh, little thing, TikTok, uh, Snapchat, they run. Now, some of you will get on all those at some point as, as you kind of get more conversant in that bit of technology and those apps and then they're going to run somewhere else. And they'll find some areas that you have no idea what they're doing. That's a game changer. That's made it more difficult to be a parent. Uh, so uh, we're, we're dealing with that. And so uh, when their eyes glaze over about when I was your age, it's really different. It really is different. Uh, I will tell them some stuff, but I will tell them, my kids, this, this in your world, though, right? Nope. It's not going to be my grandkids' world. It's going to be a different world. That's why you have to pay attention at all times. You've got to be a little more aware. And some, some of you are going, well, I don't want to be aware. You know, that music, uh, the movies, all this. I, I don't want to know what's going on. I'm going to challenge you. You need to at least try to be observant about what's going on. Watch them. Listen to them. Uh, when you're driving them in the car, listen to the conversation. You may want to tune it out. Listen in. What are they talking about? What are the subjects? If they say some, somebody who's singing a song, ask them, what's that song about? And that will either shut the whole conversation down completely, or they'll say, oh, he talks about or she sings about, and you'll learn something. And sometimes you'll learn who they shouldn't be listening to because you're asking them questions. That's educational for you. Uh, some of the folks in here, your grandparents, and, and that's great, and we are mighty, uh, all us Silver Panthers, uh, you have a great influence on your grandkids. Don't know if you know that or not. I ask my ACU students every year, take your parents off the table. Who are the most incredible spiritual influences in your life? Just name anyone. Just name, name me the top five. Then I'll reduce it down to three, and I'll say, who are the top three? And almost without exception, they'll say, my grandparents. I look to them for spiritual guidance. So if you're thinking, oh, I'm just in my rocking chair and I don't have anything to say to them, I want you to know your grandkids are listening to you. It's really great whenever you can be a part of culture with them, at least conversant with them, asking them questions. You don't have to be given lectures. You need to ask questions. Keep being alert to what's going on. My, my wife is so uh, uncool at times. She teaches AP English in a public high school in Abilene. So I keep trying to keep her conversant of the youth culture that she works with every day. And believe me, she has some real wild stories. But every once in a while, she'll have a perfect entrance to, to show kids how cool she is. And there was a vocabulary word that was ludicrous. And I said, here we go, honey. 
tomorrow you need to tell them that this is ludicrous, not like the singer, but and then give them the definition. And so she got there the next day and she said, I just want you to know that this is not like the group ludicrous. And I went, oh, no. And I said, did they roll their eyes? Yes, they rolled their eyes. And I said, okay, we got to do better than that. Uh, you know, I'm going to give you a, a note card. <laughs> ludicrous is a person, not a group. And, and so she, she finally started getting the hang of it. And she gets points every time she comes up with something really good. But it's kind of a team effort. And, we, and she'll tell me some things and go, have you heard about this? No, let me talk about that. You know, let me go find out. And I'll find out and, and relay, relay it back to her. And she's going, oh, okay, that's good. It's not the, my favorite thing to keep up with youth culture, but it's part of my job. But I would tell you, I think it's part of your job too, uh, to be aware and alert. Uh, there's an old book called Point Man for the men in the room. It talked about the guy who was at the very front end of a military operation. It's always watching out for kids, for, for the troops. And they would say, we as dads need to be point men looking for danger, looking for what's ahead. Part of my job is to, to tell you where kids are now, but part of my job is also to say, here's where I think it's going. We're aiming just a slightly ahead. We're trying to predict some problems before we get to them. And this whole realm of sexuality uh, that we're talking about today, man, we are going fast. We're going to some areas that I would say, I don't think the Bible even is prepared to address the uh, transgender issues are really difficult and really complicated. Uh, I was telling someone last night of a church that called me and said, uh, we are having a young person coming into our church and they present as a boy one week and then the next week they come as a girl and then the next week they may come back as a boy. What do we do? And I said, oh, that's really simple. You're going to love them, whether they're a boy or a girl that week. And then what? And I said, we're going to have to help them in some ways that are a professional needs to deal with. But bottom line is, the church's job is to love them, whatever they come as. Just like they do with me, and just like they do with you, every week. Because some days, I have better days than others at church. Uh, there's some times I'm not walking the way I need to walk as well. And luckily, they don't stop me at the door and say, uh-uh-uh, not so fast. They welcome me in. So that's going to be your job. And I said, can you handle that? Oh, yeah, we know, we know how to do that. We can love them. Okay. Did I ever think growing up about transgender stuff? No. Did I ever have to worry about this thing called sexting, where you send each other nude pictures? Didn't know how to do it because we didn't have the technology to do that. Uh, now, some other things happened that were not so good, but we have uh, kids who are making some really short-term decisions that have long-term consequences doing that stuff because those digital images don't disappear anymore. Luckily, I was doing all my stupid stuff before all this technology was, was made. And so you can't prove anything I did that was bad. <laughs> and a lot of you are thankful, too, that you didn't have a lot of technology. <laughs> Right now going, oh, yeah, and there's that time. Oh, yeah, boy. And now this stuff not only is out there for a long time, but it's out with lots of people. When you screwed up when you were a young kid, few people would know about it, and some of your parents' close friends, they'd know about that too. Now you've got hundreds of thousands of people. And if you go viral, it could go to the tens of thousands of people because you did something stupid. And he had a friend who goes, watch this. It's hard. It's hard on our kids. Uh, we talk about depression. Uh, the, the rates are rising astronomically. Suicide rates up high. Uh, every one of those things shows you it's a very different world uh, these kids are growing up in and they're having to deal with. So we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, some of these things. Uh, Here's a quick, quick question, and we're going to let everybody play with this. Just want you to tell somebody close to you, when was the first, who was the first person, first of all, and when? Can you, can you uh, get back to an age group where you 
personally were told about sex. Can you remember back that far? You remember? Tell, tell someone, just someone next to you, tell them when that happened. And I, I may ask for some responses here in a second. All right. Do I have any brave people who are willing to to say when and where or who? When I was six years old at Garamo Road Elementary School, we had siblings who all went to the gymnasium, and that's how we learned about sex. That was it. Cartoon form. Oh, oh, you had a cartoon. Told you about sex. Was it Mickey Mouse? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Okay, so, so that, it was kind of a big formal deal. Everybody was going to be in on that, and that's where you learned about it first. That's, that's how I learned about it. Okay, somebody else? When, when and where, yeah. Sophomore year health class. Sophomore year health class. So, once again, kind of a big group type deal, and, and open your textbook, and whoa, close the textbook, and, and go on. Okay, good, thanks. Somebody else? Your mother. Yay, mom. Good job. That's, that's a rare occurrence, by the way. Somebody else? Yeah. Second grade. And what? how? Another girl, one of your friends, told you about it? Were you horrified? Horrified. Okay. <laughs> Anybody else? You're doing great. Yes. A book from your grandma. Yay, grandma. Gonna, gonna educate you. Did, did she go through the book with you? Gave it to you. Okay. That, that was my experience. Now, as you, as you think back to who and when and all that stuff, a lot of you are finding, you know, we're, it wasn't a class setting or it's, it's kind of, we're all going to learn about this. Very few were talking face-to-face with mom except back here. Uh, that, that was great. Or we get a book. Uh, my mom, I don't know what question I asked, but it was the wrong question because she thought I was th- talking about sex and all, and I don't think I was. But I had a book tossed to my bed and said, hey, you may want to read that sometime. If you have any questions, let us know. That was the end of my sex talk with my folks. And I, re- I looked at the book. Kind of like, eh, I've heard something about this, but it wasn't that interesting. No, not good cartoons uh, in mind. Most, most of our kids are, once again, getting information from their friends. That, that's where they get it, is their, is their peer group, which uh, can lead to some really bad misinformation, uh, first of all. Secondly, it's too, typically devoid of anything of moral uh, value. And then the schools, they obviously can't talk about morals. So if they're not going to find out that way, how are they going to find out about the moral side of sexuality? How to be people of moral integrity uh, and sexual integrity in general. So uh, our, our kids uh, really f- are missing the other side. What I hope I can encourage you to do, especially when we do the session on talking to kids about sex, I want to show you uh, just a few devices that will allow you to get in those conversations easier. Uh, Once again, a lot of them don't come at a planned time, but you need to be thinking strategically about how can I get this in the conversation and do it in a fairly natural way. Uh, I told the group last night, most kids, what they report to us is they do not want to have one big, long sex talk. That's the one thing that they said, please tell our parents Here's what's going on. 
we'd like to have smaller versions of the sex talk all along the way. Uh, some more age-appropriate type stuff. Uh, when, one of the things that kids are trying to do is they're trying to figure out what is their sexual identity uh, early on. And, and it's a puzzle that they're putting together. And I'm going to show you just real briefly what sociologists would say. This is how the kids determine uh, what's going on with their sexual identity. Uh, the first thing is natal, or, or this is what uh, the doctor would be talking about when they're first born. Look between their legs. Is there a penis or a vagina? Okay, that, that's their sex, and they put that on the birth certificate, and we, we're ready to move on. That's important. It's usually pretty uh, consistent across time, uh, but that's one of the first uh, talks about sex you'll ever have is just talking about the sheer uh, plumbing uh, issues with men and women. Uh, I told the group this story last night. I'll share it again real quickly. Uh, my daughter was about two, somewhere between two and three years old. My wife was off at the grocery store, and uh, I was going to the bathroom and standing up, going to the bathroom, and my daughter pushes the door open, which two-year-olds kind of do that quite often. And I'm sitting here, and she starts looking at me, and you can see the wheels starting to turn. And I'm thinking, oh, no, oh, no. She's about to ask a really bad question. Sure enough, she asked a question. And her question was, what's that? And pointed at me. And I wasn't quite prepared to think about that answer. But I thought, I'm going to do this the right way. I'm going to call it what it's supposed to be called. I'm going to not freak out. I'm not going to be very calm. And I'm going to be the perfect dad at this moment. And her first talk about differences in men and women and I said, well, Lauren, that's a penis. Oh, okay. She walks out. I'm very pleased with myself. I've had my first sex talk with my daughter to show her a little bit of the plumbing stuff. And then I hear her singing. And she was apt to sing and make up little songs, cute little songs, usually. Not this time. This time she began to sing, and I hear the words, Penis, penis, I love penis. I'm horrified. My wife's about to come home. My little cute daughter is singing a song about penises. I had to get to her. As the garage door raised, I ran up to her and said, I need to talk about something real quickly with you. Before you walk inside, just want to prepare you. Lauren, you know, walked in. She asked me what it was. I was a good guy, and I told her exactly what it was. And uh, she's singing a song about it. And my wife said, you're kidding me. I said, no, I'm not. And I opened the door, and there she heard this, penis, penis, I love penis. Huh. And she said, you better get that song out of her head. Because we're going to church tomorrow. And her Bible class does not need to hear that song. And I said, I'll do my best. And so we sang all sorts of other songs. Finally got it out of her little cycle of uh, song choices she was doing that day. But that was the first kind of beginning point that you and I start with. And for kids... That's pretty solid uh, in their mind, and, and so that, that's viewable and seeable, and they, they realize there are differences in, in guys and girls, and, and that's the beginning point. And we begin to tell them what they are, of course, but there's going to be more conversations that are going to happen. There are going to be more conversations that need to happen across time, and eventually they're going to move to some new ones, a new way of doing it, and that's sexual identity, what they think they are. Uh, now, you're going to be teaching them all this stuff, but at some point there is a possibility there, and, and you're starting to see this now, that some kids may go, I don't feel like a boy. I don't feel like I'm a girl. Uh, some of them uh, may be caught, you know, your little girls sometimes were called what? Tom boys. You're Tom boy. You're not, you're not really a girl. You're a Tom boy because you like to play with the guys and all that stuff. And they may, once again, start trying to shift this together and going, you know, am, am I a girl? Am I a boy? 
uh, who, you know, who, who am I really? Uh, and so that's something that's very internal and you may not see as a parent. And that's why when someone does say, uh, I'm having an internal struggle, I know on my birth certificate it says this, but I feel this. Uh, that's going to be one of those things that's a little incongruent uh, to them. And we'll, we'll talk some more about that. Third one is gender role, what I am taught uh, as a kid. And once again, we'll go back to the tomboy illustration. Some of, some of the guys in the room, uh, if you don't have a son and you, you tend to keep treating this girl like a boy and keep trying to, to make them feel like a boy by how you play with them, they may get some mixed signals in the deal. It's not, it doesn't mean anything is bad, you're doing anything bad or, or intentionally harmful, but once again, they may keep thinking, what, what am I? And we have little unwritten laws and rules about parenting, and we say things like, uh, boys don't cry. Well, I, I know some boys that cry. In fact, I cry now more than I did as a kid. The older I get, the more sensitive I get. I, it doesn't take much to get me to cry. You find me some of these little commercials. That, oh, the Google commercial, Super Bowl. I, was lo I lost it. I'm going, oh, my, because I have a, a buddy of mine whose wife has Alzheimer's. And, and there was so much in there that I was going, oh, that's, that's what my guy's living right now. And so I was a mess. But girls, it's okay. Guys, it's not. Uh, we have other things, uh, whether it be sports, what you do, what type of sports you play. Uh, we have some, some of these things. Uh, guys don't play with dolls. Uh, you can't be sensitive. Uh, I, I put a few of these up just on the board just to kind of show you a few things that we uh, typically, these are lists that come out of my college students who say, here's what seems to be some of the differences in expectation. Uh, guys are not typically uh, told to be really sensitive. I, I think that's a good trait, personally. But sometimes we're told to buck up, not show our feelings, and not, not uh, be people uh, that would give in to sensitivity. Uh, males more into self-reliance. I found this a little more, one of those things that's kind of a hidden in, in me. Uh, I'm independent as I can be. You know, I, I made my parents walk behind me going to first grade. Not with me, behind me. Because I wanted to show them I could do it on my own. I didn't need parents anymore. I was, I was very grown, very, very mature for my age at first grade. Well, that, that's been just kind of a life theme through me. But when it came to my daughter, oldest daughter, when it came time for her to emancipate and go to college, I, I wasn't quite ready to quit fixing stuff for her. When she had, had a problem, I, I wanted to be right there. Now, my son, I told him, you fix it yourself. I kind of I pushed him out of the nest a little more. My oldest daughter, man, I, I was kind of holding on to her a little bit too tightly. And it was, it was much, you know, I, I was emotional when both of them left. But I kind of expected my son just to do it. You take care of your issues and problems over there at ACU. My daughter, I was trying to fix stuff. In fact, it actually went on into marriage. And my daughter would be saying something as, as an early married girl. And I was going, well, I can. And then I realized, stop it. She's married to somebody. That leaving cleave I was telling about earlier, I wasn't helping them. So I backed up. Finally, I realized in my own head, I'm not helping her become who she needs to be. And her husband as well, to let him do his thing. Uh, the affectionate, making decisions, take a stand. Uh, females a little more into getting along. Uh, I, I wish we all could get along in our country a little bit better right now. Uh, be a leader, uh, risk taker for the guys, assertive, aggressive. Guys, you get, a, you get extra points sometimes for being aggressive. What does that do for you as a woman when you're aggressive? You get labels put on you. That ain't fair. But there's some expectation levels. And we train everybody as they, they grow up some of those things that are really uh, difficult. And we just got to at least have to be sensitive to they're, they're trying to piece this all together. Uh, the last one is probably the most controversial these days is just sexual orientation. Who am I attracted to erotically? And these all, as they come together, 
on, for most folks, all line up really well. The question is, in our day and time, is what happens when these don't line up uh, for the transgender kid? What about, about the kid who's attracted to the same sex? When they feel like, I am this biologically, I, I thought I was a guy's guy. I thought I'd been trained to be a man in every way or a woman. Yet, I'm erotically attracted to someone of the same sex. And my experience is not the same experience that all my other friends have. That's uh, a tough place to be, correct? Do you, do you understand the incongruency is a problem. Let me show you how congruency, everybody's mind in this room loves congruent. We love to have things that we can count on. Uh, that's why places like McDonald's have survived. They're consistent. You go to any McDonald's anywhere in the country, you know that you're going to get the same hamburger. It's not going to be good, but it's going to be the same. <laughs> right? You go, well, it'll be the same, it's same hamburger. It'll be usually pretty quick. I can get in and out. And you know McDonald's is going to get you through the line. And so you'll stop at McDonald's. Subpar food, fast service. We're on our road. We like that. Our brains like that. When you discover a way to get to someone's house and you go, that's the quicker way. And you learn it that one time, that consistency of, I'm going to go that way every single time. Uh, my guess is when you go to and from work, you go the same route every single day for the most part. Some of you may vary it a little bit. Uh, why? Because your brain likes it to be consistent. I'm going to show you some pictures. These are inconsistent pictures. I'm going to warn you right now. You're, you're gonna, you may snicker at a few of these. You're wondering about this nun? This is a, a nunnery from California, you know, very liberal uh, nunnery. They don't, they don't dress. Those are actually stools that they're sitting on, if you can't tell. <laughs> and you're thinking, well, that, that doesn't go together very well. And your brain kind of locks down, and then eventually you go, oh, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. Here's another one. If you ever see my body in that shape, <laughs> call 911, because my body doesn't go that direction, but hers does. Get the right camera angle, and you think, that's not possible. Well, it is for her. Not for me, though. So have your button on 91 uh, very quickly. Here's another one. Now, you're figuring out right now, your brain is working on that, going, how did, oh, okay, I got it. And it, it, you're making it work a little bit, even with the laughter. Do statues throw basketballs? Another one? For our Air Force folks? This last one, you really got to see the scale that we're on. For the hunters in the room, what it looks like big game is just a little bit of squirrel. Okay? Our brains crave consistency. But when things are not consistent, it causes chaos. It causes anxiety at very high levels. Uh, if I put you or me in any situation where we don't feel comfortable, uh, right off the bat, anxiety level just goes up the roof. Uh, not knowing how to deal with situations and all those things become really significant. So uh, when push comes to shove, which one do you believe the most? The students are trying to figure that out right now. Some of them are struggling with that, and it's a mighty struggle. And most of them are dealing with it by themselves because they're afraid to tell anyone things are not consistent. If, if there's something I want to make you more sensitive to is that puberty, uh, my guess is most of you have been, uh, been through puberty by this point. If you haven't, raise your hand. Uh, puberty is a hard time. It's a difficult time. Uh, tons of, of questions. Your body's changing on the outside. 
Uh, I, I've watched it as a youth minister for 20 years. And just kid after kid after kid going through that. You see it in their eyes first, that, that look of, I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, I'm insecure. Their eyes go to the floor. They don't look at you. They go to the floor because they're not sure. They're insecure about who they are. And their handshakes are, are very weak because they're not confident. And in the midst of all this puberty stuff, and realize there's a ton of stuff changing on the outside of their body, but there's a ton of stuff happening on the inside. Their hormones are actually changing. The levels are changing incredibly. Uh, I was talking to some of the girls in my class the other day, and I said, my girls were going through puberty, and, and all of a sudden I would come in, they're crying, and I was going, why are you crying? I said, what's wrong? How can I help you? And they, they said, I don't know. I said, you don't know why you're crying? No. And you know what? They didn't. When I was, I was digging, I, I mean, I sat there for minutes and minutes just going, articulate this. Help, help me out. What are you feeling? I don't know. I'm just sad. And I finally figured out, they don't know. And I'm going, never had anything like that that I can, I can remember, at least, as a guy. And I'm thinking, the hormones must be doing something to you girls that I've never even experienced. I don't even know what that's like. But every girl in the room went, I know, I know. That's me. That's me. I said, really? Y'all all cry for, and you don't, can't articulate why? No. They even started crying while I was talking about them crying. <laughs> it was how bad it got. And so we're, so we're in real trouble. And in the midst of that, they're trying to discover sexual identity. In the midst of chaos, sex identity. So how, how are we going to help them? Well, uh, I, I'm going to make it probably more confusing as we go. I just want you to know it's not quite as simple as checking boxes and going, okay, we got that one checked, that checked, that checked, and, and we're all done with it. There's several things that I think are going on that we've got to at least recognize. And I want, want us to talk as Christian believers and also uh, just from a science perspective. First of all, those who think natal is most trustworthy, they say, boy, we bank everything on what's said on the birth certificate. That's well and good, and I understand that. And I'm going to tell you again, we are not in the Garden of Eden. We need to realize there's sometimes when biology gets mixed up. The hermaphrodite is a class, classic example you can see and know that sometimes even biology get some chromosomes different and, and some things don't all match up 100% of the time. So as a Christian body, I think we need to go, we need to be more understanding in general about the biology question because the easy thing, the, the, the way for your mind to be, have it easy is to go, oh, we're all consistent. We, we're all on biology and that's 100% of what we believe in. We actually have some exceptions to the rule right off the bat. And if we don't say that, I think we look very short-sighted and uh, maybe ignorant uh, in the deal. One of the things that I hope you will do, and I've tried to model this with my AC students, is I'll tell you the truth. Even when it doesn't maybe match up with my side, I'm going to tell you the truth. So this is one of those exceptions I think we've at least got to acknowledge and, and tell our kids, sometimes biology doesn't work out correctly. Now, does that mean they're bad people? No. Uh, is the kid who's got a DNA chromosome switch like my son-in-law's brother, Tommy? Tommy went to one of those special prom nights last night. I saw his picture, and he's about a third grade level of thinking. Sweetest kid on the planet, loves me, hugs me every time I see him. You know, he hugs me too much almost. Because it's just, hi, Robert. Hi, I love you, Robert. And he's always telling me how much he loves me. I wish I was more like him. <laughs> but he's the one with the chromosome problem. So do I hold that against him? Do I think God made a, this huge mistake? I just think we're not in the Garden of Eden. That's going to happen. And I can take you through all sorts of little scenarios that says biology, we can bank on it a whole lot. There, there's the, a vast majority of us have no problem checking all four boxes. But I'm telling you, there are some exceptions out there. It's very small, but there are exceptions. But to be intellectually honest with you, I think we need to admit that from the very beginning. Uh, 
biology, uh, is biology driving someone who has same-sex attraction? You know, is it always biology? Uh, and we, people have been debating this for a long time about, you know, is there a gay gene and all that stuff? And uh, thus far, no one's discovered it. What I do know is some people deal with this and struggle with this. Guaranteed. You know, it's a struggle. Uh, if they had had a, uh, in their opinion, if they'd had a choice, they would have chose otherwise. But for some reason, they're attracted to someone of the same sex. But uh, culturally, you, you're probably hearing a lot of people say, uh, I was, well, Lady Gaga sings a song, I was born this way, and, and you Christians leave us alone. And we kind of accepted that as our theme uh, for anyone in this issue, just saying that that's just the way it is, and, and you Christians are not paying attention to what's really going on in reality. There's some problems, though. Uh, is if you look at biology being the, the only factor with some of these uh, issues we'll talk about. There's a major twin study that's been done uh, over two decades worth, a uh, variety of countries looking at identical twins. And the reason why they want to look at identical twins is they're looking for the closest DNA match you can f possibly find on this planet. And they were wanting to ask the question, if one twin is biologically, you know, what we'd say biologically gay, then it should follow that the other twin would also be gay in a vast majority of the time, like 95% or so. You think that, that will guarantee that shows that these people uh, are set with a code before they ever start life. They're going to be gay. Well, here's what they found. 7.7% of the male twins were both gay. The rest had one gay twin, the other was heterosexual. For females, it was a little bit lower. Now, when I first saw this, I thought, oh, this sounds like some Christian bunch of goofballs that are just trying to prove a point. Uh, I've got to figure out, you know, what's the basis and, and who actually studied this to, to know whether I trust it or not. And what Bierman and Bruckner showed was their, their results after studying all these twins and I come to find out that Behrman and Bruckner are gay. The researchers were gay. But they had the courage to actually show the results when they got through. And I thought, wow. Did they, did they intend to go out and find this in their research to prove the other side? But once again, great honesty of saying, this is what we found. So it's not quite as conclusive. Uh, do I think uh, from just talking to, to students at ACU and others that, that deal with this, uh, do they feel like they were uh, more predisposed to go this way early on? They would say yes, and I can't argue with that because I'm not them. Uh, but they would say, I've, I've felt like this since I was a, a kid. And so I'm, I'm not going to say this, this is 100% right every single time. I just want to say culturally, I want us to be careful not to oversell this is just the way everybody's made uh, through a biology uh, research. Environment is sometimes used as, as the, a, a deal that talks about not only homosexuality, but heterosexual stuff. Why are they acting out? Why are the kids raping each other? Why are they molesting small children? It's because they came from bad homes. And from everything that I've continued to read, and I've read through multiple studies, including this one that Andrew Marin did, but he found, after studying a large group of young people, that most of them do not come from what you call dysfunctional families. Some do, but it's a small minority. And this is where a lot of anxiety comes from for you as parents, right? That I did something wrong. I'm going to tell you, I've seen kids all brought up from the same exact home, good Christian homes, that three, three of the kids, heterosexual, all the boxes lined up, and one did not. Did they do something different with that fourth one or the third one or the second one? They raised them all the same, it seemed like. There, there wasn't any difference. I got to watch some of them grow up. Didn't see anything different. So I'm going to just tell you, uh, we as a church need to be careful about placing blame on parents and the environment that they put together uh, with it. I'm going to keep rolling fast. Uh, 
sexual identity, what I think, what a student thinks they are. Uh, hopefully you remember as a teenager, you thought very differently about things depending on the day and the hour. I had, have little girls in my youth group who would come up and say, oh, I saw Billy the other day. Oh, he, I just love him. He's so wonderful. He listens so carefully to me and loves me. And then five minutes later, she goes, I hate Billy. <laughs> well, why? He cheated with my friend and starts telling me this stuff. And I hate him and I don't ever want to see him. Wait, wait, wait. Isn't this the same Billy you were talking about five minutes ago? Uh-huh. And it's totally different because their emotions are going like this as well. Same thing's true sometimes with our identity. They, they try on lots of personalities. Most of our kids try different things. They, they'll put it, you know, back in the day, they'd put it on Facebook, and if they got enough likes, they went, that must be who I am. That must be what I'm good at. We had to do it the old-fashioned way. We'd go to school, and they'd make fun of our clothes, and we would never wear those clothes again. And we'd go, oh, that's a bad idea. Well, they're trying on not only clothes, but identities every day. Uh, they call it, uh, some people call it the patchwork self. Take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, that's who I am. With this problem, their emotions and what they think they are is very inconsistent across time. Uh, I don't know if you've ever, have you recognized this girl? She's the president of the NAACP in Seattle, Washington. Her name is Rachel. Problem. Rachel wanted and thought she was African-American. This is Rachel as a teenager. Does she look very African-American to you? Nope, because she wasn't. But she fooled them all. And she worked so hard to be something she was not. Of course, lost her position, uh, a lot of ridicule about her, basically just saying, you're, you're fooling yourself. I personally wanted to be an NFL running back because somebody told me I could be anything I wanted to be. I had a problem. I was slow. I didn't like to get hit. I don't like pain. So I gave up on my career very early at sixth grade. <laughs> but at one point, I felt like that's what I wanted to be. And our feelings are a little bit fleeting. And so one of the things we're going to have to have to work with and, and concentrate on is helping the students understand they need to be careful about identifying too early, too quickly, on emotion, because some are going to move miles back and forth. They're going to try some things even. And I don't want you as a parent to kind of freak out and go, oh, th this is who they're going to be long term. I've seen students go back and forth, try different things, not only uh, in, in saying some behaviors that you go, I cannot believe they're being that that wild sexually and eventually they'll come back and, and moderate back into kind of where the parents would like them to be but it's surely trying some things out uh, they learn sometimes from their mistakes and unfortunately they're going to make some bad mistakes from time to time but that's that's where i better stop and we i got to get you another break i promise promise i'll let you up let's uh let's shoot back in here about uh 10 after go 10 after we'll start back up Great. All right. I think we better get, get on it. I'm going to keep trying to move on. Everybody doing okay? We're, we're all right? All right. We're going to, what I want to start out with, this is kind of the end of last one, and then we'll move in, into another section. But I want to show you and tell you some of the scriptures that I would use with teenagers in general to talk about what's God's plan for them. Uh, and it doesn't matter, doesn't matter uh, what type of thing they're struggling with. I think there's some principles here in these two verses that really speak pretty plainly. These are actually pretty blunt. And I don't know about you, sometimes our generation was a little more subtle in how we did things. This generation can handle blunt. Uh, they're, they're much more likely to go, hey, that's, that's uh, either a truth or something I need to hear. So we start out in 1 Corinthians 6. And this is uh, pretty simple right from the very beginning. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. Isn't that simple? God did not design, and remember, he's the creator. He knows the most about it. He would say, that is not meant for sexual immorality. Now, a lot of Christians and a lot of us have always made a big deal about the spirit, the spirit, the spirit. I want you to watch how many times the writer here talks body. There's a theology of the body. 
Now, a lot of kids want to split that, and, and there were some early church fathers that tried to say the spirit is the good part and the body is the bad part, and they called it dualism. And the body's always bad. God would say, no, it's not bad, but it needs to be managed. It needs to be controlled. So right off the bat, purpose and understanding about why your body was created. One thing it's not created for, not created for sexual immorality. Now you can go dive deeper into what does that, what sexual immorality mean, but I think you can do that on your own time. Uh, and there are several prohibitions that you can go back, and there's about 10 of them that you can rock back through. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. He has raised us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Another interesting concept. Uh, did you ever tell your kids, remember, Jesus is with you wherever you go. Your body is member, a member of Christ himself. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Can't say that word strongly enough. Uh, this generation would probably pick a different word to say. But just suffice it to say, absolutely never. Do you not know that he unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? It seems, it, I don't think it's just talking the physical realm at that point. I think there are some spiritual implications to that. Becoming one. Uh, talking about Adam and Eve. Adam knew his wife, Eve. One. Intimacy. Knowledge. No. Uh, about her, every part about her. And there, what's done in the body has spiritual implications. What's done in the spirit has implications with the body most, uh, most times. Keeps on going. For it said the two shall become one flesh. He unites himself with the Lord as one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All of the sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his or her own body. Uh, you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Last phrase, very blunt. Honor God with your body. Doesn't say a lot about the Spirit here, but it talks a lot about their body. God does care what you do with your body. There's a correlation that goes together. Spirit and body are important to God. What you do with your body is important to the Lord. So, so some of the big themes that, that I hit with them uh, are reflected also, and you'll see a, a few instances of, of some repeats in this, but First First Thessalonians chapter 4, if I were to ask the kids the question, how many of you want to do God's will, I could get everybody to raise their hand. All right, that's a good starting point. Everybody wants to do God's will. If you do... Look what he says. It's God's will that you be holy, set apart, different than the rest of the world. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control his or her own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in a passionate lust like the heathens who do not know God. There's a marked difference in Christians, what we should expect from Christians and from the rest of the world. You're going to see that over and over and over again. I expect more from you. Don't impose necessarily all your, your thoughts on the rest of the culture. The culture is going to go wild in many ways. But I want you to know, I expect more from God's people. So, several themes here. Let me show you some basic themes. Body's not designed for immorality. You got that. Number two, do not involve Jesus in things that are against his nature. You and I know that God cannot stand to be up, rubbing up against evil. Correct? That, that's not his style. That's not his desire. And so when we take our bodies, which Jesus is with us in that, we are, if we go have sex with a prostitute, that's wrong. And there's going to be a rumble. Because you see, our body is the temple. And you remember the little story about the temple? When thing, people were doing things inside his father's house that he did not think were appropriate and righteous, and he gets righteously indignant and mad and gets a whip out and shoves them all out of the temple, expect a rumble when you do things with your body inside that temple. 
he's not going to be happy. It may be a feeling in your stomach. It may be incongruent lifestyle. It may be as you hear a sermon or as you hear a class talking about things you are doing that you should not do, and all of a sudden there's this dissonance inside. That's Jesus trying to clean house. Run from temptations. Pretty simple. Uh, all of us have this desire to get up on the edge of sin and temptation. We, we like to be close. Uh, it's a pretty strong principle of flee from sexual temptation. Now, the kids don't use that word. I, they don't go, we're going to flee to the cafeteria after church, right? That, that's not happening. I, I must flee as soon as I can to get away from that person. I, I use the word run. Uh, don't walk. Don't crawl. Run. <clears throat> Sunday night, when the kids are here, I'm going to talk about Joseph and the Joseph story about he was willing to flee. I think we might have had a different story if Joseph had not been willing to flee. If he had hung around and thought, well, what's going to hurt? Maybe I need to ponder this. I think Joseph was ready to show us an example of not only a, a guy who was willing to run, but realize it's a guy telling the woman no. One of the few instances of a holy hunk in the Bible who said no. Now, they all think he's a big geek. You know, he said, oh, easy for him to say no because he's probably not very attractive. But the Bible is very specific. He was well-built and handsome. And I know that's a, a common problem for a lot of us in ministry. Uh, well-built and handsome and, you know, the women just come and flock at you, you know, and offer all sorts of things. Well, Joseph had that problem. He was too good-looking and too well-built. And, and, and it goes on and on in the story. But for our young men... For them to know that is a spiritual man. To say no. Say you're not going to control the situation. I am going to physically run because I'm scared of you and the danger that could happen if I hang around here too long. So we'll talk with them tomorrow night about uh, being in situations and, and, and being careful about when we see the first hint of temptation or the first hint of immorality, we're, we're heading out and running from that. Honoring God with your body, that's a big deal. How do I honor God? I honor Him by handling it well, managing my body well. Not a spirit, a body. I think that's, that's significant. Last one, control your body. It's a mark of a Christian. I don't care what the rest of the world does. They're usually not living under God's laws. I do care what Christians do. And he says, control your body. What culture is telling our kids is they're a bunch of animals. You cannot possibly control that body. There are so many hormones bubbling you. Oh, pfft, there's no way you can control yourself. Well, the fact is they can. They have to be careful. They have to be, be watchful of their own selves and their own temptations. Um, I will typically tell my college students, I said, you know, uh, even though I'm getting up in years, Satan still puts people in my life that he tries to entice me. And, he, and God expects me to control myself. Just because I have a biological urge to do something to somebody else who's not my wife does not mean that is a holy act. I've got to determine, is this a good thing or a bad thing morally in God's eyes? That's what Joseph did. He, said, he even reminded Potiphar's wife, my master has withheld nothing from me except for you, his wife. All of us are going to deal with things. And maybe your temptation is not sexual. It may be money. It could be gossip. It can be uh, drugs, alcohol, a variety of things. All of us have something. If I sat with you long enough, I'd find your deal. I could find it. I could discover it. And you know what it is. And you know you've got to put some special barriers up. I wish that I could say, you're going to say no to some temptation. It's never going to come back. But you know Satan's not that way. Don't you? You know, we had the example of Jesus in the wilderness, and he comes after him three times. After those three times, Jesus has handled it. And then the scripture is very careful to say, and Satan went away to tempt him at a more opportune time. He did not quit. 
on the Son of God. That's pretty tough company, right? He should have known he does not have a shot, but he is not willing to give up on Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Well, he sure is going to keep coming after you, correct? And he comes after our kids as well. So, very, very important uh, set of themes to, to look at. Okay, let's, let's move on to our, our next. We're going to reset here just a little bit. 